Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasova, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news paper since 1971. Bonus time on the Ben Drosk Show. As I speak, it's Friday, July 29th, 2022. I am now going to read to you a headline uh, from today's newspaper to give you a sense of what's going on in the world. Because you know, as a podcast, ladies and gentlemen, you could be listening to this 20 years from now. Okay? So you're going to what was going on when Ben had a conversation with his distinguished guest who he's not introduced yet? What was going on in the universe on Friday, July 29, 2022? And I'll tell you what was going on, people. Here's a headline from the New York Times. Justice Department, wary of backlash, treads lightly on January 6th inquiry. <laughs> Merrick Garland, Attorney General. That's putting it mildly, treading lightly. <laughs> he's barely treading at all. Taking his time. Building hey, Merrick Garland, I'm going to tell you something. I heard Donald Trump. He got on the phone. He called the Secretary of State of Georgia. He said, quote, find me 11,000 blank, blank votes I need to make me the winner in Georgia, and I'll do the rest. If that isn't against the law, I don't know what is. So I don't know what you're treading so lightly for. Just Google it. You'll find it. All right. Had to get that off my chest. All right, without further ado, I'm going to ask my distinguished guest to introduce yourself. Distinguished guest, introduce yourself. Well, that's wonderful. I'm distinguished. My name is Ori Pennick, and I am uh, a retired attorney, formerly civil rights, and native Chicagoan. Okay, that doesn't even begin. I'm sorry, Ori Pennick. I mean, gosh, dang it, as the kids say. That doesn't even begin, folks to tell the story of this woman, okay? She was on the front lines of every civil rights fight in the city of Chicago, 60s, 70s, into the 80s. She was there for Harold Washington and Dr. King, okay? <laughs> she was there with my Johnny Mac, John McDermott, and Lillian Calhoun founded the Chicago uh, Reporter. Led, that's how, that's the only way I just met her at the Chicago Reporter 50th anniversary. 
All right. She's been in philanthropic Chicago foundation, Chicago. She's a mover and shaker. She could pick up her phone call right now. And Lori life will come to the phone just like that. So there you go. That's more of an introduction. I'm sorry. Or I had to take over it. That was too modest. Yeah. She is a retired lawyer, but a little more than that. All right. Did I do you justice? I, you did more than justice and I appreciate it. Thank you, Ben. All right. Well, she's a freaking legend, ladies and gentlemen, in the city of Chicago. Uh, and Lenny, shout out to Lenny. Lenny says you have to. Yes, have please. Lori. Shout out to Miss Lenny. Yes. Maybe the next alder woman of the 48th. World. That's right. Love her. Love her. All right. Uh, so I always um, I always have uh, Martin Luther King on my mind, uh, Ori. I know that sounds weird since the man was killed in 1968. Uh, but I'll tell you why uh, I have him on my mind and the struggles I have uh, with this legacy, and then we'll kind of take the conversation from there, all right? Uh, Dr. Martin Luther King, when I was a kid, uh, was a profound hero of mine, all right? I was a little liberal kid growing up uh, to uh, New Deal Democrats in Evanston, Illinois, which is a very, it wasn't so liberal then, but it's, it's like, pretty much liberal suburb of the city of Chicago. One of the most sheltered. Ex- one of the what's most, that? One of the most liberal. Most one of the most. Yeah. Well, Classic the, first, lip- the first to enact reparations. I mean, let's give it credit for standing tall on complex issues. All right. So, uh, so he was a hero uh, and he, uh, he preached a lot of different things. He preached uh, acceptance and tolerance. Uh, he preached an end to Jim Crow. Uh, he preached integration, uh, and he also preached equity and fairness, uh, with the government acting as a force for change if necessary. Okay. And while he was preaching this, he came to Chicago and Chicagoans hit him in the head with a rock, which shows you what Chicagoans think of tolerance, <laughs> fairness, equity, integration. And then he was sh- for opposing the war, uh, war in Vietnam. I believe that was part of the reason he was killed in 1968. Uh, and uh, it seems as though that this country has reduced Dr. King's message to one phrase from his uh, I, I had a dream speech from 1963. And that uh, one phrase, which is, seems to be the only acceptable phrase to MAGA, is... Um, that we only uh, judge people by uh, the content of the character, not the color of their skin, which then enables MAGA to do absolutely all kinds of racist stuff uh, and get away with it. Now, that's my reading of it, and I feel distressed when I uh, come face-to-face with my reading of it. And, Ori, I would love for you uh, to tell me why I'm wrong so I could feel better about the world as we know it, or tell me how I'm right and how we can move on Uh, to make it a better world. So let's start with the first part of it. Uh, Do you think I'm right in my assessment and that's uh, the legacy that so many people in this country have regarding Martin Luther King? I I think you're absolutely correct. But I think that Dr. King, and you know a little of my history, is he was not one entity. I mean, this was a man that stood uh, in the South before, you know, the, the Klan and others, but also when he was arrested in Birmingham jail, spoke to the, the the people that arrested him, you know, wrote wrote letters from the Birmingham jail to, to, to people who had wanted him jailed. And he took the time to talk to the, pri- to, to the prison guards. Um, so this was not a one type of person. 
And so I think you're absolutely correct in how MAGA and those who don't want to understand, and I think it's intentional that they don't, have taken part of his message um, and used it to their benefit. The, the real issue, and, and I learned this again going to law school where, you know, again, I'm a Chicagoan, and one of my heroes was um, uh, Fred Hampton. I'll be honest, you know, uh, uh, the Panther Party. I wasn't a Panther, no, never saying that. But what he stood for and how he did it, particularly when he got people of all races, and there were white, you know, the young patriots and others that listened to him, women, because uh, the Panthers were not very equitable as it came to the Black Panther women. That's another issue. Um, but yeah, so so you know what I when I went to law school, I you know I'm going to come out like you know, uh, Fred Hampton, and I'm going to be, I am a revolutionary. When I got out of John Marshall Law School, the first thing I could say, well, that ain't going to work because once you understand the structure of this country's laws, then you know that Dr. King's voice and his message was and still remains essential, but is equally equally as essential as that we understand the structure behind this so-called democracy, and I say so-called because it is structurally not designed as a democracy, even though we claim that. So when Dr. King, you know, the, the Selma March and all of the things he did, and, and including one of my other heroes who died not too long ago was John Lewis. Um, and as I said to you, the Chicago connection that most people don't get. And one of the reasons Dr. King came to Chicago was because of Diane Nash, who just recently got um, the Medal of Freedom Award from from. President Biden, but Diane Nash was a co-founder of SNCC and a native Chicagoan. And she got Dr. King and John Lewis to sit down and talk to each other because the civil rights movement was not one thing. And again, the women in the civil rights movement, other than Rosa Parks and, you know, uh, uh, Ella Baker, most of them didn't get, and I'm, that's why I'm so proud of that, didn't get the, 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 the respect they deserve for standing up, not just only to racism, but the sexism of, of this country. So, when, I, when you think about Dr. King, you, you have to think about the complexities of, of what he was standing for and what, what needs to be done. And again, the laws, you know, laws can and we know can be, you know, it's not just the law. They can be overturned, as we know. Um, and there are laws that, you know, you know, that prohibited, you know, uh, slave owners from teaching slaves how to read. That was the law. That was legal. So the law is not, you know, the essential to solving our complexities of our structural inequality. One of the structural pieces is education. And which is why when we look at how we are educating young people and how young people have been educated and old people in law. Um, and that's why critical race theory gets so much of a, a, a so frightening to them. If you tell the truth in, in, in education, then people are more likely to understand structurally what civil rights is. I went to Inglewood High School, you know, back in, you know, the so-called ghetto. They taught civics then, you know, a white teacher taught civics on why it's important for everybody to be able to vote and what you should have to do. At the same time, the Democratic Daily Machine, Master Daily, was telling people who they had to vote for. And, and, and when, when we were voting, that's how we got Anna Langford elected and, you know, they, they would police would stand in front of the voting and vote and voting booth and voting, whatever it's called, the, you know, the place where you go to vote and ask people standing as they were standing in line, who are they voting for? Which would ask them, 
police, white police, but as black people. And we trained some mostly men, young people, through Anna Langford and some other prominent lawyers, uh, 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 Bill Cousins and some other great lawyers, Jim Montgomery, to, to tell people quietly, you don't have to answer that. Because they were intimidating people. Well, why are you, you know, and, and back in the day, before then, and that's why Annie was doing it, they would follow people into the voting booth and press, not, not use, press their hand to make sure that they didn't touch the vote, but made sure that they pressed the hand of the vote, the, the, the place that they wanted to vote. All of this was part of a democratic city, you know, one of the, one of the most prominent in the country. When, when John F. Kennedy came here to meet with Mayor Daley, Massa Daley, he wasn't coming here to worry about winning Chicago. He was coming here to worry about winning Illinois because he knew the Daily Machine had Illinois. So until, I mean, and again, Dr. King came to Chicago because he structurally understood that what we, what he was fighting in the South was also happening in Chicago. The first U.S. Supreme Court, talk about another black woman who did, the decision about racism and public housing came from Chicago. Dorothy Gautreaux versus the Chicago Housing Authority and Hood. That led to national Section 8 for people across the country to use Section 8 to, to move out of racially segregated communities. Dorothy controlled it. Dr. King knew Dorothy. That case went to, to, to the U.S. Supreme Court in 66. Dr. King came here in 66 and applauded her and said, thank you and the others who stood with you to, to fight against segregation in Chicago and, and public housing. So again, it's, it's, it's structurally and, and the economics of it in terms of housing, in terms of, of jobs, I mean, if we don't structurally address civil rights, then it's it's great to talk about, talk about it. I mean, we need to. But again, the Poor People's March in 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 D.C. got got Dr. King in trouble with some black people because some black people, especially some prominent one, particularly here in Chicago, Joseph Jackson, Olivet Baptist Church, who stood with Master Daly and told Dr. King to take his communism back south. Joseph Jackson didn't believe in, in, in poor people. People are poor because they don't want to work. If they work, they wouldn't be poor. So that divided him from a, 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 a and this, and he was the head of the Southern Baptist, uh, what is the Southern Baptist Convention? This was not just like a everyday minister, one of the largest Southern Baptist churches in the country. That's Chicago. So when Dr. King came here, he had some idea of what he would be addressing. Although not only for him, but for the rest of us. And I'm, I'm a Lutheran. My minister was a white Lutheran minister who was a former Marine who I loved, who helped me understand how we could help get Anna Langford elected, by the way. Uh, uh, a. Sherwood Nelson, uh, whose dissertation got his doctorate on racial uh, inequalities and racial reconciliation. And the Lutheran School of Theology didn't want to give him his PhD on that because it was too controversial. But the dean of the Lutheran School of Theology said, yep, he got his PhD, and that dean, Bill Lesher, joined Inglewood Lutheran Bethel Lutheran Church in Inglewood to support this kind of ministry. So again, Chicago had, and to some degree still has, but sadly not in the areas like Inglewood that had over 100,000 people when I was there. But Chicago has um, the draw. I mean, Harold Washington, when Harold's law office was down the street from, from where I lived, we could run down the street to 63rd and Peoria. I lived on 59th and Peoria. In the summertime, he'd be handing out ice cones. And we didn't know what lawyers meant and didn't care. All we knew was they had good ice cones. 
and there was a small petite woman one day there with him. You know, I was getting ready to go into high school, like eighth or ninth grade. And petite woman also handed out ice cones. And we thought maybe that was his wife or, you know, well, that was Anne Lankford. Who knew they were both lawyers? Her law office was down the street on 63rd and Racine. So, again, this was what Inglewood had the, 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 the capacity to empower not just me. I know people who became lawyers out of my church and out of that community um, because we could see the. my mother could say to me with her 10th grade education, if you believe it, you can achieve it. And I could believe it. Okay, I'd have to do a little annotation here for some of your younger listeners, uh, people younger than the age of 65, maybe. Anna Langford, a legend in Chicago politics, uh, older woman of the 16th Ward. I believe she was elected first time in 1971. If I'm wrong, I apologize, but that's around the time uh, she was elected. She's always battling James Taylor, who was an agent of uh, Mayor Daly. I won't call him Massa Daly. It's not my place. I'm just, uh, but uh, that would be Mayor. And Big Jim Taylor, because you know he was a boxer. He had been a boxer. Oh, yeah. I know all about, I'm, yes, yeah. Uh, He was the committeeman of the 16th Ward, uh, and then he cut a deal with Jane Byrne. He thought that was going to uh, put him on easy street for the 80s. And then Harold Washington stunned the world in 83 by you. Uh, and Harold would say this, and I can, you know, that Anna's winning, becoming the first African-American female alderman, emp- empowered him to think, well, if Anna can do it, guess what? You know, and he had gone downstate and done some other things. And, you know, but that empowered him to say, wow, if a black woman can do this, I know this is something, you know, because again, there, and, and there was on, she would, she would have been the first and only woman, but the Daily Machine, and I don't remember her name, ran a woman on the North side whose husband was a precinct captain. And so that Anna Wanker would not get the, 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 the legend of being the first woman. He would permit her to be the first black woman, but he would not permit her to be the first and only. So there were two women on the city council at the same time. Uh, and then the other person you named, you named William uh, William Cousins, who was an alderman, I believe, of the Eighth Ward, and became a judge. Yes, uh, yes, giants, giants, uh, legends. But again, and the disinformation. And I can't speak for everybody. I don't pretend to. But for the disinformation, particularly of younger Black people, that I do try to stay in touch with, and some people, and oh my God, when I think of younger Black people, and I think of. Tanika Lewis Johnson, whose mom I know, Rita Johnson, Rita Lewis from Inglewood. I mean, you know, so, but I, but, but she is, is, is phenomenal and, and gives me so much hope because there's so many people, particularly in areas like Inglewood, who feel un, uh, not just, you know, uh, disrespected, but because when I was talking to young men, uh, when I was doing some, I won't call it training, but speaking, about how important it was for them to vote and how they needed to register. And one of them said, why? It doesn't make a difference. And then another said to me, and this kept me quiet, but you know, I don't, when we were talking about Obama had just, you know, been elected and, you know, how he came, he came to Chicago because of Harold Washington. And he said it. I mean, I can call him, I can call him Mo and Bo now because that's what they were before. I knew him before he married Michelle. But, you know, he said, you know, uh, you know, Harold Washington beating the, the machine was, the kind of thing he wanted to be a part of. He came as a community organizer in Alcale Gardens where Dorothy Cattrall, uh had, you know, lived. she wasn't alive then, but where she had led the lawsuit. So he knew a lot of the history of Chicago, more than some, sadly, some of some residents here. But again, when I was, you know, saying, you know, Chicago helped to produce the first African-American president of this country and we should be happy. And the young man said, yes. He said, I am truly excited by that. 
about about this because he said, but it doesn't keep me safe at night. And he's right. I mean, so the politics of a city, of a country, of a, of a nation doesn't empower the kind of civil rights that we're talking about. That means, you know, somebody can be safe in their home, you know, uh, Breonna Taylor and others, you know, can be safe in their home uh, uh, and not, you know, accosted by the people supposedly that are supposed to serve and protect them. Harold Washington appointed me to the police board, and I was still in law school then, and my master's in criminal justice and had done a dissertation on what was then called the gangster disciples, uh, I'm sorry, the disciples, not the gangster disciples, and the Blackstone Rangers. Anyway, so I had some history. Again, one was from Inglewood, the disciples, and the Rangers, the Blackstone Rangers were in Woodlawn. Anyway, um, you know, Harold, the mayor of Washington, you know, appointed me at the time I became the youngest person on the on the police board. But there was women like Nancy Wilson, Nancy Jefferson from the West Side. Oh my God, Nancy could, she was a queen. She would she was the one that that at, at a at a school board meeting she sat and she she went and sat in the, the, the on the school board and took the took the seat of the president and Jane Byrne tried to you know talk her out. I mean she 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 and when Harold ran he said I gotta talk to Nancy Jefferson because she's we used to call her Queen of the West Side because she understood how Chicago is, when it comes to people, it's not just one city. You have the, you know, you have Chinatown, you have, you know, Greek town, you have, you know, Swedish, you have, and, and the West Side and the South Side, yes, Black people, but not all one thing. And I didn't realize till I got older that st- structurally, if you want to look, and Dr. King knew this, that people from Louisiana and uh, I think Mississippi are on the West Side. Alabama and Georgia tend to be more on the South side. I mean, oh, I don't know. I'm a bunch of, but that kind of history of what they bring uh, to the table is very important to know. And and so when you when you're quote, I mean, it's like knowing you know that that back of the yards had had we used to call it the Irish Mafia, but had a lot more Irish than on the South side than some parts on the North side that had um, you know uh, Greeks and you, you know all. Anyway, that the Chicago is is a is a complex city of many, and my Native American friend used to say tribes, uh, and in some ways that's correct. I mean, and not, and there is an indigenous population still here. So when you're talking about civil rights, it's not just black and 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 one person says it's not just a black or white issue. It's a structural issue of of that has to do with with equity in terms of of, of gender gender identification in terms of disability. Another Chicago hero, Shiro, Marco Bristow, who you know helped to found Access Living and and Bill President Clinton, because I've been in rooms with accredited the ADA, the Americans with Disability Act, to Marco Bristow, climbing up uh, to the to the Lincoln um, um, monument uh, on her knees uh, while that was being you know discussed. I mean he said you know, Martha really led the nation in terms of disability rights. So again, another Chicago hero. Chicago is 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 complex. It is it is it is full of people. As as someone like my pastor used to say, you know, there are many for as many people that know about Al Capone and the mafia that don't know about all the good folk, black, black, or green in Chicago. That that's problematic. 
And that's about the country. We need to, the, the, and you know this, with, with disinformation now becoming the news source, we've got to protect the integrity of, of what we know. Um, because without that, there can be no civil rights. All right. I want to go back to a couple of things you said. You had a lot to say on a great riff, uh, that opening riff. I was taking notes. Uh, and there's so much I could pick up on. But I want to pick up on this one. You were talking about sexism in the movement. And by chance, not too long ago, I talked a lot about this on the show. I saw The Janes, uh, which is a documentary about women in Chicago uh, who uh, set up abortion services because it was illegal. And we may be going back to that, uh, thanks to uh, MAGA and Donald Trump and uh, the MAGA 6 of the Supreme Court. Uh, But they talked in that movie, the women uh, who were uh, the stars of the documentary talked about the sexism they confronted in the movement. Uh, and so you were there, you were, uh, a, a young woman in, in the sixties and seventies, uh, confronting all these sexists. So Ori, how did you deal with it? Like when, like the, when you came up face to face with something really, uh, just unabashedly sexist that some movement man said to you, how did you handle it? Well, it depended. And and I say this because Shirley Chisholm, another Shiro, you know, on whose on whose shoulders both Obama and Hillary Clinton, you know, stood. When I first heard her say this, I got angry with her. I think I was in high school when I heard her say she felt she'd been discriminated more as a woman than as a black person. I'm like, well, how could that be? That's you know, that's impossible, blah blah. Well, guess what? Once I became a lawyer, <laughs> it became and, and got uh, in, invited to participate or to uh, apply for certain jobs. When I showed up, one of them said, "Well, um, I'm here for an, uh, you know an, an interview." And they said, "Oh no, I'm sorry, uh, we have Ori Pennick down." I said, "I am Ori Pennick." They went, "What?" Now they were either confused that I was black, but I think they were even more confused that I was a woman. Um, and because uh, I had gone when I was at the MacArthur Foundation while I was in law school, I had gone to an event down in, in Florida to something. And I went in and um, they said, I said, you know, I'm, I'm uh, something about everything. He said, well, we, Mr. Pennock's not here yet. And I said, uh, no, and he ain't coming because I'm pregnant. And the person actually called while I was looking at her, called the MacArthur Foundation and asked them to describe me. Now, this, is, this ain't in the 50s. This is 80s, 80s and that. And, and the person who hired me as a lawyer, uh, another Shiro, Joyce Hughes, the first African-American general counsel and the first woman general counsel for the CTA law department, who Dorval Carter, who was now the head of CTA, worked under. I know Dorval. We worked, he worked under Joyce. He was, I think he was like her senior legal advisor, and I was a managing attorney. They gave her, I mean, they would say things to her. The CTA board would say things to her. Well, are you taking minutes? This is the general counsel. Is she taking minutes? I mean, so again, you know, it depends on, on you know, the, the environment and, and how you want to be seen. But it also depends, like I said, at the Panthers, and I can't speak to all the rest of them because I, I know Fred Hampton, and, you know, but the one on Woodlawn, when we were doing the breakfast, when I was a volunteer for the breakfast program, you know, the, the Panther men would drive the food. They'd pick up food and they'd drive it in the alley. And you, you know, their cars would be in the alleyway. 
The women had to come out in the alley to get the food to take in the kitchen. They wouldn't even bring it in the kitchen. At least the ones, the days I was there, can't speak for no other days. And when you were serving some of the people, including young kids and seniors, if the phone would ring like a hotline and a Panther man was standing right there in front of the phone, he'd wait for one of the women to come and answer the phone. I saw this. So I'm sitting there going, well, wait, you all, and, 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 you know, Angela Davis told, you know, that, you know, the, the, the whole structure of, of, and what Heather Booth talks about. And when I think of one of my other sheroes, um, Bernadine Dorn, uh, uh, and, you know, and the weather underground, I mean, you know, Gender had to be part of what you had to fight for, and it still is. I mean, structurally, if you look at the hundreds of years the Supreme Court has existed, and it takes, what, 2022 to get the first African female, you know, Supreme Court justice, and you've had two black men, you had a Latina woman, you had a Jewish woman, a Jewish Duh. Black women um, as a group, and, and again, people used to say this about my friend Mo, Michelle Obama. Um, uh, what was wrong? You know, angry. Michelle's not an angry black woman. I am an angry black woman. Get, get out of my way. Michelle was a sweetheart, very soft spoken. Now that didn't mean she took stuff. I mean, she was very clear to draw a line, and you know, and nobody, including President Obama, crossed that line when she drew it. But you know, she wasn't angry. I'm angry, and I think that we get we get defined as one thing. And the civil rights movement sadly didn't do. It did some things like Rosa Parks, you know, got acknowledgement. But there was a black woman who, who did what Rosa did before Rosa. The difference was she was dark skinned. I think she was pregnant at a young age and she didn't fit the, the model that the civil rights movement wanted to, to follow. So, again, when we look and, and you know, when we look at and and uh, and I was, again, blessed to grow up under the tutelage of a doctor, you know, Margaret Burroughs, you, you know, the Sable Museum who talked about women's roles. And we had the nerve to call her Gwen Brooks. I don't know how we called her. We didn't call her Mrs. Brooks. We didn't call her, we called her the first pillar surprise when we called her Gwen Brooks. You know, the, I saw women leadership. Anna Langford, I was blessed, my mother. I was blessed to see women in ways that many others were not. Uh, and so, and that included white women and Latino women, you know. So again, the structure of civil rights is not one thing. It has to be inclusive. It has to be uh, uh, predefined. It can't be last minute. And, and I want to throw this in. I was also blessed to, to, to go to South Africa shortly after, after um, uh, Nelson Mandela was elected. Didn't meet with him, but did meet with Bishop Tutu, who, oh my God, just, you know, was phenomenal. And it was a group of us from Chicago, including Barbara Bowman, Valerie Jarrett's mom, and some others uh, who, who went. Um, uh, you know, it, it was, it was an amazing, inspirational visit, but what it, what it did for me was I could structurally see how apartheid survived as many decades as it did. Structurally, because of the same thing we were talking about, divide by gender, divide by education, and then there, divide by color. If you can find a way to divide, like MAGA and others, you can structurally exist forever. And a woman, of Cheryl Carolus, the second an attorney, second highest ranking woman in the um, ANC African National Council met with us and said, Congress, I think it's African National Congress, said that the biggest problem she felt ANC had with overturning apartheid was taking so much time, taking too much time to make sense of the nonsense. I had no idea what that meant until Trump. 
when the time gets spent, when he would say something stupid or make up words or just, you know, spending that time, taking it away from moving forward progressively to make sense of the nonsense. And all I could see her saying was, I told you. And, and again, structurally, she was right. If you take time, resources for you, Ben, to talk about, why did they come with it? Rather than, what are the next steps we have to move forward on to overcome X, Y, Z? When we take time to make sense of the nonsense, that is valuable time that we could use to move forward toward the, the results and, that we need. And I, will, I, I don't want to defend the Department of Justice, they, you know, but let me just say this. It comes to, when it comes to the, again, the structure of this country, and it, again, Watergate proved that. Watergate, you know, Nixon, all that. Um, you have to not only dot the I's and cross the T's, you got a double dot, double T, and all of that, because the things that are we take for granted, when it comes to that level, ain't none. You got to, you got to assume everything is going to be on the, uh, 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 a line against you when you move forward on that. And I will say, just on what I've heard, and you know, it's all rumor, but I think he's building a case that that it, it's going to be in. It, again, because you have an appellate system and you have a Supreme Court system that he knows is run by you-know-who, the six you talked about. You don't want to spend all this time doing something that they can get a, a, overturned by the appellate or the Supremes. You want to spend time on something that even they're going to have to say, well, excuse me, whoa. We, you know. And so that takes time. It ain't, it ain't sexy. It ain't funny. The law, the real law, civil rights law can be as boring as you wouldn't want to know. Because again, we've been led to believe it's going to be a, it takes time and it takes, and, and quite frankly, it takes you not to know what I know. And and that's the problem with, you know, we want to know what everybody's knowing. Now, if I'm going to do this and I'm, I'm speaking, you know, if this is going to be done to win, I can't let you know all that I know right now because I don't want the other side to know I know it yet. So, All right. you, uh, you're playing chess. I'm playing checkers. Uh, you're a trained lawyer. I'm a, a, a guy in an attic talking into a microphone. Uh, me talking into a microphone and millions of other people put a little pressure on the Merrick Garland's of the world. And so he's deliberating. Uh, he's building meticulously his case, as you said. You don't want to put pressure on him to lose. You, you know, and that's all I'm saying. Yes, you should put pressure on him, but you, you don't want that pressure to be on him so that he loses. And if you if you move him too forward too quickly, that's exactly what could happen. Okay, and I will say this to that. It's a very valid point. I don't know. I feel I'm well beyond the limits of moving too quickly. We are now in 2022. The phone call I alluded to took place in December of 2020. That was two years ago. It's like you found a dead body in the alley. It's two years later. And you're like, well, I still don't know if it's dead. But again, understand that phone call in and of itself, when you when you look at the law, don't mean squat. I'm just saying to you, and and that's what people. What when I came out of law school, I said to myself, all this stuff I'm gonna do and so Law doesn't do that. It it really doesn't. It, it's the people behind it, and we've been had we've had some brilliant women. You know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Oh my God, we've had some brilliant people, and she people don't realize she fought for women's rights before she was on the Supremes. You know, um, you have to look at who has fought the fight in a complex system that 
has enabled a win because our structure, don't even get me started. Our structure is not for us, for civil rights to win. This, this kind of, the structure, the, 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 the legal and, and the, the so-called structure of our democracy, where you have three of the most powerful entities and one of them we don't get to elect. How could that be? How could they share equally in power? And we, as part of a democracy, don't get to elect the Supreme? Stop that. That's what I'm saying to you. We have to look at it and, and, and take, you know, and some of my foreign lawyer friends, you know, especially from Canada, used to, and, and the UK used to laugh and say, democracy and capitalism is an interesting experiment. And I, would, I, got, I took offense to that. But guess what? You know, because it, when, when money can root out all of what we understand as, as, as humane and legal rights, if money, and that's what Trump proved, if money can outweigh all of that through capitalism, I don't even mean illegal money, then guess what? There's no hope. There's hope. I mean. No, there is hope. But, but again, Ben, hope if we understand the fight we're going through. Hope if we think this is going to be quick and easy. And, you know, and that's why, you know, my daughters know, you know, social media for me is, is, is one of the more, and thank you guys for doing it. One of the most problematic pieces because everything is easy. I could Google right now. I can say the craziest thing I want and I could Google somewhere. Somebody says that's correct. And, and have a lot of people saying, yay. I mean, how could that be? You know, when, when again, and, and, and again, the structure of the fairness doctrine, and you know that, that said things that had to be, before you could publish it, it had to be verified, but that was taken away. They, they took that law away. So guess now, I can say anything I want. Fox News proves that every day. I can have millions of people repeating every crazy thing I say. And ain't no law against that. That's well, I'll tell you, uh, the other side, I, I hear what you're saying. This is on my mind. Uh, this is a tangent, but whatever. I'm enjoying this conversation, so let's go down this road. Uh, I just got it. I get all these uh, emails. Follow me in this one. Or I get all these emails uh, from far-right groups. I'm not quite sure why. Uh, I've never given any money, I swear, Ori. Uh, but because I don't take them down, they just keep sending them to me. So I know what they're up to because they I'm bombarded with them. While I'm talking to you right now, I'll have 20 collecting on my email. From and probably, various... more after, probably more after they hear this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so one of them I got today was from uh, some right winger. I think his name is Kirk. Uh, and he's up in arms uh, because of The View, the TV show with uh, Whoopi Goldberg on. He's up in arms. He's, he's great, collecting money. I'm not, not making this up because they said something disparaging about his organization on The View. And he says, I am outraged. This is, this is just an outrageous accusation that is not true. And I'm thinking of suing them. And so I, he was collecting money. To, I, I, he was just using that to collect money because he didn't specify that he was going to hire a lawyer with the money you gave him. But I was like, this is pretty slick. He's, but the point is this. MAGA cries when any lefty takes exception to what they say. And he go, you were trampling my First Amendment protecting right to say whatever I want because your little snowflake feelings have been hurt. This feller, Whoopi Goldberg says one little nasty thing about him. He's sobbing like a baby and threatening a lawsuit. Now, Ori, I'm telling you, you go back to what Michelle Obama famously said in 2016. She is definitely not an angry woman. She said, when they go low, we go high. That's right. Okay. 
I'm not seeing, I'm looking at this guy, a total walking contradiction, hypocrite. He reserves the right to say any mean, nasty thing he wants about me or you. But if you say something nasty about him, he's threatening a lawsuit. How can you win a battle for social equity when the forces you are up against do not play by any rules? Go ahead. Well, again, it depends upon how you want how you want, want to achieve the battle. And that's what I say. The law is not the, the, the inroad for that because the law will protect crazy people, you know, uh, you know, freedom of speech, crazy people from saying. But but again, you know, trying to dismantle the craziness is is one of the things. And some of that dismantlement, and I think what you're doing, media, actual real media, not the Fox whatever, you know. Uh, I had some things that he, I can't say because it was a nasty F word. <laughs> but, you know, um, you know, uh, what, what we're having now, and sadly, you know, we see what's happening with Russia and others. Our, our democracy is in such jeopardy now that we, we have to be willing to stand tall on issues and, and, and in the face of issues and push back when somebody says, well, what be, I'm going to say, because guess what? You can sue anybody for anything. I mean, that's the other thing the law said. I can sue you for just wearing a, a hat today. I'm going to sue you because, you know, it offended me, blah, blah, blah. Um, and you can, and now with, with GoFundMe, you can raise money for anything. Um, so, you know, the, the issue is how do we as those, and, and not just, you know, because there are some Republicans who honestly got it and have now said they're independent or they're not, you know, Richard Steele being one and some others. Um, that, that doesn't mean them, that don't make them liberal and that don't make them Democrats. But it does. mean Michael Steele. Michael Steele, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, Richard, Richard Steele's a good friend of this show. Say, that's why I meant, you know, I was, I, thank you, Michael Steele. But Richard Steele is good too, easy. But, um, you know, Michael Steele. But I'm just saying to you that, that you know, that they have stepped away uh, from the, the, the Republican institutional party, but they haven't stepped Far, far enough away to be able to chastise and to, to take on the myths and disagree. I mean, what's happening with Liz Cheney is beyond belief to me. I mean, this is, you know, seeing her, I'm like, what? Is this still, is that, is that his, really his daughter? Is that, you know, I mean, I keep looking at it. I guess that's her. I mean, but again, even she has got to the point of, oh my God, we can't. And that's how bad it is. Then this is not a, an easy subject. It's not a one, two, three when it, it and it has to start with younger people because you and I especially you know we're you know done done our due but we've got to enable younger people of all races of all classes of all genders to understand structurally what is at stake and that doesn't mean they have to be a politician because you know that's what uh, Michelle and I we called her Mo and I agreed upon we ain't never wanted to run for anything but in fact we, we used to say we'd run away from politics um not run to you know but you know the the issue is it takes political it, it takes political uh, wisdom it takes political guts quite frankly and uh, Harold Washington used to say when he was you know downstate and and particularly after he went to Congress and they wanted him to come back you know to run for mayor he said and I'm I know I'm misquoting this but he said something like you know having a voice is 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 sometimes more important than having a vote because depending upon the structure. That vote may not accomplish anything, but the voice of the people, and you know, of town and you know, uh, is is essential to 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 moving things forward in a in a 
structural way. Uh, and I've added some of that last part of it. But, you know, again, there's no, if we don't continue to have the kind of discussion you're having here and hopefully, uh, you know, among younger people and others so that they can they can be heard because many of them, you know, and, and I'll, I'll, I want to end with this thing because it broke my heart when I was talking to this group of young people at Inglewood and, and Market Park, believe it or not, Market Park Bank, which I never thought I'd live to be in Market Park. And they had a black security guard. I wanted to take his picture, but he wouldn't let me. I'm like, whoa, Dr. King. Yeah. You know? But anyway, so I'm speaking at Market Park Bank and, you know, to these young people, you know, and, you know, I introduced myself, you know, I went to Inglewood High School. I grew up on 59th and Peoria in England. And, you know, I have three degrees, no brag, just fact, because I want you to know, and University of Illinois Circle Campus, never left town. Um, you know, and just, you know, to help them know that I knew, you know, 60, you know. And when I was leaving, and this was a young man still in high school, and he said, thank you, you know, for coming. He said, and, you know, can you do me a favor? No, can you do us a favor? And he said, when people, when you meet people, and I know he meant, you know, not black people, you know, can you introduce yourself by saying, you know, can you start by saying you have, you, you grew up in Inglewood and you have three degrees? Because they don't believe people like you exist. And then when he said, do it for us, I was speechless. And I'm never speechless. But, you know, the, the fact that this young man believes, one, that people don't believe, like people like me or him who's in school trying to go to college, is a sad part. Because what I want to say to them is, you know, there are white people that care. There are people of all colors, all genders that care. But, the, but they have separated us through segregation in housing, through segregation in schools, through segregation in education, so that they don't know that there are people who care, which is why, you know, Heather Booth and, and you know, uh, uh, people like her in Chicago and other places, white women, white men, I mean, you know, uh, that's the, you, the, you know, the, the Chicago reporter, John McDermott, that's, that was, and Dr. King knew this, which is why he was so intentful. One of the reasons why he wanted to go to Market Park, it didn't work that way, because he thought, you know, there would be whites, and there were some, they just weren't outnumbered, that would stand up and, and be a part of, of what he was, what, what the movement was claiming. So I think it is complex. It's not, you know, a, a, a win-all strategy, one, two, three. Um, the vote, I mean, we, you know, Roe v. Wade is, is, you know, but the one that was enacted before then that was left before them was the voting rights bill. The fact that that has been taken away, especially in the South, you know, I mean, and, you know, now they're calling it the John Lewis voting rights. I don't know if I live to see that pass, but that's structural. And we've got, you know, cause if I can't vote, it doesn't, you know, as the young man said, it doesn't matter about any of these other things. Well, I, um, we've run out of time here, Ori, but I certainly hope you and I both live long enough uh, to see that John Lewis uh, bill passed. And uh, that John Lewis bill is intended to uh, block uh, election steal. That's very real. Uh, that uh, is being and that's, and, and You should do because many people don't realize that's, that's new. That was not in the original bill, the voting rights bill. So this is an add-on that is exactly what you're talking about. Absolutely. Uh, and name for the great uh, congressman from Georgia, John Lewis, civil rights leader. Uh, an ally of Dr. King. Uh, he was the young guy. I, I, John Lewis was like the young man, and King was. It's so weird because they were only like ten years apart when you think about it, or you know what I mean. But back a lot back then, and again, Dorothy, Dorothy, Diane Nash, you know, recognized that they had so much in common, and she would say, "You have more in common than you think." 
because they thought Snake was just a bunch of young kids running around doing getting in trouble, you know, blah blah blah. And as John Lewis would say, yeah, getting in good trouble. But you know, she she brought Diane them, Nash. you know, the great Diane Nash from Chicago. She was married yeah. to James Bevel. People forget yes. that name. Uh, oh yeah, I, I, I knew Bevel. Kind of went wrong at the end, but. Uh, well, that's a whole other uh, show. That's a whole other story. Yes, sadly, a that's a whole other story. Yeah. yeah, that's a whole other story. Uh, all right, Ori, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me uh, and uh, setting me straight. I'm not quite sure I'm 100% with you on that one, but <laughs> I'll give Merrick Garland the benefit of the doubt, thanks to you, for another week at least. <laughs> said for another weekend, that's right. A week yeah, at least. Okay. At least another week, because again, Doing the right thing through the law ain't quick and easy. I'm just telling you. So. Well, I know one thing's for certain. It's not quick. Uh, that is. <laughs> Take your time, Merrick. You heard the story about the hare and the tortoise. You know, sometimes the tortoise wins the race. Okay. Uh, <laughs> wah, 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 wah. I'm just kidding, Ori. Uh, anyway, uh, Ori, thank you very much. And Lenny, thank you very much uh, for uh, suggesting uh, that I bring Ori, she's going to be a regular because you said this to me before we went on. You have the gift of gab, and you have been blessed uh, with that gift, and you got a lot to offer. So, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me, and I hope you come back real soon. All right. Thank you. All right, that's great, Ori Panic. She's a legend in the city of Chicago, ladies and gentlemen. No, she's not just some lawyer, like she said in the introduction. Uh, and I'm very pleased uh, that she could be a guest on my show. That's Ori Pennick. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.